Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is ridiculous because in order to be ridiculous, you have to be ridiculous first. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I'm your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from a fairly smoky recording studio built here at my home office, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And on this week's show, well, I will have that review of the Robert McConnell Red Virginia with Perique, the current production. And uh, more about that story in uh, Pipe Parts. And then my guest is Ryan Horback. And Ryan is a uh, pipe smoker, tattoo artist, and portrays Doc Holliday on the streets of the real Tombstone current day Arizona. So a lot of fun talking to Ryan. Great guy. Uh, can't wait to actually get there and see him do his thing. Uh and then uh, music mailbag and you know what instead of a rant we're gonna rave this week yep in the mood so there you go so you get all that on this week's episode of the pipes magazine radio show and remember new episodes come out every tuesday at 8 p.m eastern time they're posted live at 8 p.m eastern time here in the united states and then are available for download streaming or uh, whatever else you might do to them uh you know for eternity or as long as the servers hold out so you can go back listen to old shows if you're new to the show you can go back listen to the old ones and anyway but uh, do me a favor and keep sharing out the pipes magazine radio show share it on twitter instagram facebook every place that you go where you see pipe smoking friends make sure and share it out to them and let them know that you that you are listening to it and you enjoy it and uh you know I've been kind of a, I, I guess this this is kind of a strange week because uh, I've got some travel coming up. Yeah, we're going down to Florida to help my son and his fiance move into their house. We're leaving in uh, a week and a half, so I uh, got a lot going on, and that's kind of a nice feeling. So, <laughs> kind of getting a little bit back to normal around here, maybe just a little bit. Anyway. All right, let's get the show rolling so everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. We're back on the Pipes Magazine radio show as I get the last puffs of McConnell's Red Virginia. And let me go to TobaccoReviews.com and give you the exact description. And it says, one of the original blends from 1848. A rich chestnut-colored leaf from Carolina combined with Virginia Bright's tobaccos to produce a mild 
but satisfying blend. A touch of perique gives a taste of elegance and quality, and no Latakia is added. Now, as I look at this actual tin and I turn it over to see the actual description on there, and it says broken red Virginia with a hint of perique, and that's the new modern, uh, the new modern description. Now, let me let me preface this to say that I had I had to fight with this, all right, and I had to fight with this, and I had to fight with it because of two things. Uh, one, it. <laughs> The so the Robert McConnell blends, I've had them in three iterations now. There is the older made in England, which goes back to the 1990s at least, uh, you know, 1980s, and then there is the time where it was in made in Denmark, uh, and then there's this current version, which is made in Germany by Kohlhaus and Kopp, and the older made in England's are kind of my white whale, my one of they're one of my white whale holy grail tobaccos. All right, I, so that's kind of where I was on the baseline for this, and that's unfair to this blend right here because this blend is not that one. This blend has a topping on it; it's got a flavor added to it. It's got Perique added to it. The original blend did not have anything but red Virginia leaf. Okay. So I was being unfair when I was working with it the first time. Um, on top of that, I was having a hard time finding the exact moisture combination and the proper size pipe for it because I think, and this is my own opinion, which I am the leading expert on, and if you love this blend, you know, that's fine. I'm, I'm happy for you. Um, but it was hard for me to find the right size bowl or the right type of pipe for it because the topping on it makes me feel like it is an aromatic. And I didn't want to, um, you know, work it in too many different size of pipes because, or too many of my regular rotation pipes because I was worried that the aromatic, that the toppings may linger. So, um, clays and corn cobs, which is another question down the road, uh, but clays and corn cobs were the right ones for me to taste test this in. However, because of it being an aromatic or having that topping to it and having those moist younger Virginias, they were not real tolerant in it. So, with that being said, I found that it worked better in a large briar pipe. When I mean large, I mean like uh, uh, four-fifths of an inch diameter, tobacco chamber diameter by one, you know, by one and a half, so a wider bowl in my book. Uh, and I found that it worked better if it was not bone dry, because if it was bone dry, it got too hot, but... A you know lower tobacco lower moisture level than what it is in the tin. I took about uh, I took about twenty grams of it and put it in a glass jar and did the window toasting trick to it. And bright sunny day, let it sit in the window. Got all sweaty, opened it up, let that moisture evaporate, closed it back, did that again another day. Went back, tried it, and then again worked on it today. 
and that was that was really the best the, the best I could get out of it. Now on tobaccoreviews.com, I'm not going to go through any of the reviews there because it's hard to say if those people were actually reviewing the current production or the past production, but it's noted as having a cocoa and chocolate flavor. And what I got was kind of a maybe maybe a chocolatey cherry nose to it, but if I was going to say what I think this blend is most like is a little bit more aromatic Orlick Golden Slice because it's got Virginia's with a hint of Perique and I kept getting that orange, that orange flavor. So a little more flavor forward version of Orlick Golden Slice all the way rubbed out. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is that I understand that supply is in uh, you know, it's in high demand right now. So there are people out there that like it on uh, tobacco reviews. I believe it's averaging three stars, which is you know three out of four is not bad at all. Uh, but again, I, I was being unfair to it when I did the first when I took my first shots at it because I was you know kind of uh, remembering the tins that. Yeah, from back in the old days, which I've got, uh, I've got two made in England tins here now that I've been gifted or found, and I've got two made in Denmark tins, um, and those are you know super special occasions. So, if you're looking for something that is going to have a bit of a uh, uh, room appeal, because the room note is nice and you're looking for something that's got a little bit of a perique to it, but not very much, this is the perfect tobacco. Just make sure that you work with it to get it in the right size bowl and get the right moisture level for you. So there you go. Uh, Robert McConnell's Red Virginia with Perique, the current production, uh, 50 gram tin, not bad, interesting. And, and I like it when something challenges me. So there you go. All right, in just a moment, Ryan Horback. This is Internet Radio. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy, fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us is a fellow pipe smoker, a tattoo artist, and a impersonating performer in Tombstone, Arizona, which we're going to talk about that because I saw your pictures. And uh, Ryan Horback, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on, and welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you so much. All right, so to be here. So first of all, let, let's just get to know you a little bit. Um, when did you start smoking a pipe? I started smoking a pipe. It was probably about two years ago, um, close to two years ago, I was smoking cigarettes about two and a half packs a day. Oh I got my. tired of it. I ended up quitting smoking and performing in Tombstone. I would smoke cigars occasionally. I got tired of putting those out and ruining the cigar. 
I found an easier way and alternative way of getting great flavors and better and more relaxing time smoking a pipe. The first pipe I bought was a Mr. Frog. I don't remember the actual model, but it was a Mr. Frog pipe and still actually have it today. So is is pipe smoking something that you do every day or is it just an occasional thing? Every day. I'm actually back uh, and addicted to nicotine again, <laughs> um, which doesn't bother me. But I do rely on um, the nicotine and I do smoke a pipe every single day. Our, our wonderful vitamin n as we call it ah, we love it <laughs> well, oh yeah you didn't grow up in arizona did you i'm actually from illinois i moved out here um right after the airports opened up from september 11th 2001 so you were were you transferred out there or uh, or, or did you or did the truck break down i was actually uh came out here with my family. My family um, wanted to live somewhere new where it wasn't cold, damp, rainy. Um, everything Illinois is. Yeah. Cloudy. <laughs> so, so Arizona bound it was. And all right, was, uh, was tattoo artist kind of your, was that your, uh, your dream job? Not at all. Not at all. I didn't expect, um, and at the age um, when I moved out here, all I cared about was skateboarding, and that was really it. Um, I got into tattooing after, when I was about 19, I got a few tattoos, and I was fascinated with the whole process of using machines, to create arts with needles and different techniques, um, just different ways of painting and different mediums to work with. And I started drawing tattoos, started painting. Luckily, one of my really uh, close friends, he was telling me basically, you suck, try harder. <laughs> so it really kind of made me want to put everything I have into it. Um, I do also have cerebral palsy. Um, which oh boy. Nobody would know. Um, and with that, I, anything I want to do, I put 110% into it. Um, to absolutely do the best of the job that I can do. And that's one thing about tattooing is no tattoo is easy. Every tattoo is treated the same. Um, definitely rewarding having somebody walk out of the studio with a piece of art that you created. And also just the experience of meeting and talking with people every single day. It's a lot of fun. 
What advice do you have for somebody that wants to get their first tattoo? Uh, you know, how do you know if the artist is good? What what kind of what kind of advice can you give? Stay off the internet. <laughs> Stay off the internet. Um, do some research on the artist you want to do your first tattoo. There's a lot of mainstream tattooing became mainstream from all the tattoo shows, all the things on the internet. It's kind of in a public eye now as before it was kind of like an underground, oh, I've never been in a tattoo studio, I'm kind of nervous, but now everyone's like, oh, I'm going to get tattooed, which is great, but as an honest person, tattoos aren't for everybody, and, you know, with that being said, it's something drawn for you, it's something uh, you really like, um, I tattoo a lot of floral, um, American traditional designs. I don't do any realism or portrait work. Uh, my boss does that, but I enjoy stipple tattooing, a lot of fun. And just really think about what you want. Also, don't start with your hands or your neck. <laughs> um, I actually turned down a lot of people because I have morals with uh, tattooing somebody's first tattoo on their hand is to me disrespecting them um, in a way because I don't want someone to lose their job because they got a tattoo and that company doesn't allow tattoos that are visible even if it's not yeah. offensive. It's kind of breaks down to you tattoo somebody's hand, they lose their job. They're no longer coming to you to get a tattoo because they don't have a job. So it kind of is a domino effect in that aspect. Um, but you know, if you want to get a first tattoo, do it. Have fun. Go in there. Make sure to look at their portfolios. That's important. If you don't like what the artist is doing, don't get a tattoo from them. Don't feel obligated to get a tattoo from them. Yeah, so you've don't. got a you've got a style. Your boss has a style, and I guess you got to kind of find the artist that fits the tattoo that you're thinking of. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, it's like I have I'm, I'm covered in American traditional tattoos. I also enjoy tattooing kind of the opposite of what I have a little bit more than just American traditional. It's just kind of the way it, what really it starts to interest you as you develop in your career. Um, you start finding what you really enjoy doing, um, which nowadays you have to know how to do almost everything. Um, but what I really enjoy doing is a lot of stipple tattooing. It's kind of what people come to me for, which is really, really cool. But I can also I can also tattoo other things. It's just that's what I kind of personally enjoy. But uh, stay off Pinterest, stay off the internet. 
everybody has those designs tattooed, get something a little bit more original, um, something for you. And I can make a recommendation, not all the time, but if you're going to get a portrait of somebody, not really necessary to get the word grandpa or whoever you're trying to say the portrait <laughs> is, because that's what portrait is. And it can be a conversation starter. Um, a lot of people want to put big quotes on them, which is great. Tattooing whatever people like is what they like, you know. But quotes come and go. Art is something that's a little bit more expressive. So you'd, you'd say get a piece of art that represents what that quote means. Exactly. Yeah. Something straightforward in tattooing, it's it's great, but you can do so much what you're trying to say with a piece of art, and it can be anything. Um, just do some research. There's a lot of great tattooers out there. There's a lot of great artists. Uh, don't go. Don't get a tattoo from your buddy because. Uh, <laughs> He'll trade you for a pack of cigarettes. Just don't do that. <laughs> so, um, but I, but I do like your I, I like your I, I I like your restriction of not doing it on the hand first because I have three and if I wear a t-shirt nobody can ever see them. Yeah, and it's kind of a big trendy thing right now of people getting their face tattoos, their hands and necks. And the rest of their arms are bare. Ow. Uh, to me, it's kind of, don't do that. It's Tattoos don't make you tough. Um, it's a piece of art. I think you're a badass because you're tattooed. That's the wrong idea with that. <laughs> Just a piece of art. But whatever. I mean, everyone's got their image that they want if you're stuck on getting your hand tattooed for your first one, then uh, do it. <laughs> I just personally don't recommend it. Just, just don't come and see Ryan for the first one on your hand. Uh, we're going to take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to talk Tombstone, Doc Holiday, and uh, maybe some more pipe smoking and tattoo stuff. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Have a look in your tobacco cellar. What do you see? Think of what you smoke, what you age, what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe, just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes, and you need a wide selection to accommodate it. We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite, or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. We 
are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Ryan Horbeck. Um, Ryan, all right, so I saw a picture of you on Facebook, and I had I literally had to do a double take because it looked like Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday, except he was smoking a pipe. So... Can you can you kind of give us the uh, give us the rundown on how you became a Doc Holiday at Tombstone, Arizona? Yes. So it was a few years ago. I actually longer than a few years ago. I dressed up like Doc Holiday uh, for a Halloween thing, and people were telling me I was like, "They're oh, you look great, you look great," um, but. I wanted to look into the history, what people were wearing, why they carried guns a certain way, why they had certain things. Um, the whole history got fluctuated with the town and everyone that had a name in that town. And Val Kilmer's Doc Holiday really brought it to life for me of, oh, wow, this is interesting. This is great. And I went to Tombstone. I was walking on Allen Street, went into a building that was at the time Wyatt Earp Estates, and met a gentleman named uh, Wyatt Earp. <laughs> and uh, he's the great grandnephew of Wyatt Earp. Well, he asked me if I wanted to join his uh, reenactment group. Well, yeah, I'm going to join it with Wyatt Earp, his great grandnephew. So I was portraying Billy Clanton, Curly Bill Brocious, Morgan, Doc Holliday, um, different roles that kept everything fun for me. I didn't want to just do the Doc Holliday role. I wanted to do everybody else, kind of get a feel for it. But in that time, a lot of people were coming up to me after the shows. Oh, you look just like Val Kilmer. Well, I'm Curly Bill right now, but thank you. Um, <laughs> So it kind of just stuck with me of uh, no matter what role I do, people are going to see that because of my uh, mustache, semi-facial features, I guess somebody said. I don't know. Um, but I also kind of studied how he moved in mannerisms and that kind of aspect of the character. So I would bring that to Tombstone and... People were loving it and still are, but they were recognizing me every time I would go back and people would come into town to see me and ask for me. My friends would message me, <laughs> hey, Doc, a uh, bunch of people are at the birdcage asking where you're at. I'm like, well, I'm outside of Phoenix right now tattooing because <laughs> <laughs> um, we would go down there during the big event weekends perform. Um, after about six years of performing with a group, with Wyatt Earps and everybody, I wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, oh, but before that, I met Val Kilmer at a movie theater in Scottsdale, Arizona, and what better way to go and meet him when he's uh, doing a Q&A on his one-man show, Citizen Twain, than to dress up like Doc Holiday. Everyone else is in suits, ties, um, dressed really nice, and there's me. 
<laughs> and uh, he came up to me and shook my hand and asked, why are you dressed up like Doc Holliday? You look great. And I had told him, because of him, I'm doing his character to life for people in Tombstone. Got infatuated with that. And his management gave me his information on how to follow him and communicate with them, uh, as well as I was performing even more on Tombstone and uh, got in contact with him. And he sent me a few messages about uh, different things, and um, that included uh, I messaged him about showing him the scenes that we are doing. He really liked them. Then I got in contact with a woman named uh, Renee. She was one of the seamstresses for the movie team stuff. She actually made everything that I was wearing in that picture on Facebook that you saw. Yeah. Um, as far as the guns that I have are Colts, and one is a Colt Lightning, which is my personal favorite. Um, but as far as what really got me interested is, all right, I have an A-list actor following me on social media because I dress up like him and perform. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny, but really cool at the same time. I met Val in Tombstone. I think it was a year or two later. He recognized me and came up, kind of gave me a hug, and uh, I got to perform that weekend. And some of his team members that travel with him got to see shows and thought it was so great, and fun. <laughs> so you got to play. Val Kilmer's Doc Holiday in front of Val Kilmer. Not in front of him. Um, when we actually got to perform, because when he was in Tombstone, it was crazy busy. The whole town was packed. Yeah. Um, to try to move anywhere, um, like when he came into a special area, his managers grabbed me walked me right up to him and there's maybe eight to ten sheriffs different uh, security with him and they were all trying to just surround him okay. and I wasn't trying to do any of that I just was hanging out having a good time and I was brought up to him came up gave me a hug uh, <laughs> And uh, talked to him for a little bit, and then I started taking people's phones, taking pictures uh, for them, um, just having a good time that way. Um, then after that was the 25th anniversary of the movie, where there was more people from the movie there. Um, they were having such a great time and interested in the shows that I was doing, so they all started following me on social media and seeing a couple of the different skits. Uh, got to uh, my friend Gene Kurz and I got to perform that he also um, portrays Johnny Ringo 
in the movie. We got to perform the Latin duel, is what we call it, in front of Michael Bean <laughs> and his wife. And he stood up afterwards and thought it was great. Him and his wife now are my actual friends. I don't hear from Val too much. Um, I know he was dealing with some personal uh, ailments. Uh, I don't go too much into all of that. Uh, he's got a book out that kind of has everything that's kind of been part of his life. Uh, but he did have throat cancer. But after all of that, got to meet all the people that I was seeing in the movie and they were all infatuated with what we were doing. Um, Texas Jack um, or Peter Sherego from the movie is one of my friends and he has encouraged me to look into different period correct attire, accoutrements, uh, different things that kind of go along with everything that he spent his basically his life doing research and studying. And Buck Taylor, he was Turkey Creek in the movie, is also an artist. And I got a couple of his watercolor prints, one of Doc Holliday and one of Curly Bill. And I reached out to him two days ago about turning uh, one of his paintings, making it tattooable. And the message I got back with from him was, uh, by all means, send me a picture of it when it's done. So it's been a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool ride with it. It's just a lot of fun to walk around town dressed up, show people historical spots where things actually happened, uh, and then go drink with them. <laughs> Matt, do you smoke a pipe as Doc Holiday? I do. I kind of, in the last two years, I've kind of taken the Val Kilmer image and I kept it, but I've also changed a couple things um, just to bring a little bit something, a little bit different to it. Um, I used to smoke cigars, um, but now I walk around and I smoke my pipe. And as far as it being around period correct, it more than likely would have happened. So it's not a cigarette like you see in the movie, but just tobacco pipe. And the only, there is a smoke shop not really a smoke shop, but they have cigars, um, different unique pipes, um, tobaccos, um, in Tombstone called Smoke Signals. And that's where I actually pick up most of my uh, tobacco. And right now, and it's never let me down, it's just Cherry Cavendish. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I like aromatics, um, except for strawberry. I don't like that. 
was having that conversation a couple days ago that there is no good strawberry or banana flavored tobaccos. Yeah, I just I didn't like it at all. But <laughs> the cherry, you can't go wrong with it. Yeah. Um, it's I've wanted to dabble into different uh, types of tobacco. Uh, I know I'm familiar with terms, but I haven't tried a whole lot of them actually know what I like and I don't like. Um, as far as Gene Curtis actually got into pipe smoking to help clean off of just actual cigarettes. Um, and it was kind of encouraged for me for smoking um, a pipe into a cigar or anything, keep it a little bit more original when we're portraying someone else's character um but now he really enjoys it and with the whole tombstone thing um i have more friends out there that are family than um than anything right now um most of my friends actually live in town um live in the town of tombstone and it's it's a lot of fun of basically just the family I have that does a bunch of Western stuff now. How often do you get down to to Tombstone to, to play, Doc? So I was going down there about five times a year, sometimes more if I wanted to just go, which would, but um, I've actually gotten really busy with tattooing that I haven't really had a whole lot of time go down there. Um, but occasionally make it down there for like a weekend trip and hang out with my friends and dress up and go entertain people that are in town. They really look forward to it when they're in town. Um, seeing familiar things definitely makes it more enjoyable, um, especially if people have never been to the town. They don't know what they're looking at. Uh, it sounds like a lot of fun, but we will wrap this up with the fast five final yeah. questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I am ready. What is your favorite pipe? Right now, I have a Mr. Brog. I don't remember. Not a, I also have a Dorf, Dorf Hammer. Um, but the one I just recently got, it's similar to that shape, but I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we, I think I know the answer to this, but I have to ask it. What is your favorite tobacco? All right. So definitely cherry Cavendish, but I also like, uh, black and brown kind of mix. Um, let's see. I do, um, Black cherry Cavendish. Um, those are probably going to be like my favorite right now. And what is your favorite drink? My favorite drink is probably Old Overholtz. Uh, it's a rye whiskey from that was kind of produced roughly in the 1800s. It's still being produced today. Um, it's supposedly a drink that they were drinking in Tombstone. It 
honestly really doesn't matter to me a whole lot because it's about thirteen dollars for a bottle <laughs> and it's me <laughs> when so it's it, just a bonus when it's time to relax do you prefer a book a movie or music i actually enjoy music um i would actually play the guitar um well, I find it relaxing to kind of sit around, smoke my pipe, and play my guitar for a while. And then finally, although you've it's been a short couple of years, do you have a favorite pipe smoking related memory? Yes, driving in my truck, um, <laughs> I hit a speed bump. Oh no! Um, and my pipe fell. Oh, I was actually on my way to Tombstone. I piped up between my legs, and uh, some of the ash started burning my leg. It was a great time. Oh, no. <laughs> Just be glad you weren't wearing all your uh, all your dock stuff. No, exactly. And I normally drive to Tombstone just dressed up. Just leave everything kind of modern at home and just go out have fun with what they would have been way wary. That time I didn't. I was uh, not sure exactly why I didn't, but I'm glad I didn't because that would have been a gnarly hole in my pants. So the Instagram account is R-Y-A-N-H-O-R-B-A-C-K at Ryan Horback. Same thing on Facebook. Any place else where we can go see uh, your tattoos and your pictures and all that stuff? Honestly, my Instagram has basically my portfolio as much as I post on there. Um, Facebook, I tend to, but Instagram definitely has more of the tattoo aspect of me than my Facebook um, and you can also look up the shop it is Inc number 4 Life in Apache Junction Arizona and you can look at our portfolios on there you can call the shop message the shop ask for me ask for my boss Brian um, and Talk to him still while you get tattooed. We have a good time. Walk out with a nice tattoo and have some fun. Ryan, thank you very thank much you. for coming on. I I want to, well, long story short, my wife was born in Cochise County, so we've got oh, yeah. a trip back to a trip back there on our list of things to do once uh, once the world gets back to normal. But thanks for coming on and thanks for visiting with me. And, and I, I want to see you do doc in person one day. I promise. Oh yeah. And I will, um, I will go through and I will find videos of some of the skits that we've done and I will share them again. Perfect. So you can go to Ryan's stuff and see that. And, uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much. And we'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, we've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell and Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. 
So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at CND as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell and Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. This is Internet Radio. And we are back. Uh, yeah, check. I'm seriously. Um, first of all, I'm a fan of the movie Tombstone. Um, but second of all, uh, if you're on Instagram or Facebook, go check out what check out Ryan's pictures. I mean, they are really cool. If you're on PipesMagazine.com, we'll post a picture of Ryan as uh, Val Kilmer's Doc Holiday there. Um, just really cool stuff. Anyway, got me excited. So hope you enjoyed it. All right, for uh, music instead of music, uh, we have <laughs> poetry, and this time I'm going to read it, but here's the email I got from Neil Kirby, and Neil says, I ran across this poem rummaging through boxes of stuff that I've inherited. I don't know if it's an original from my great uncle or a poem he copied. It is the second poem in a stack of handwritten numbered poems, some pretty corny, uh, my great-uncle liked poetry, but to my knowledge, did not smoke. My dad was into poetry, and, I told, and I'm told he quit cigarettes when I was born. Not sure who wrote this poem. My guess is my dad's uncle. So I did a little bit of, uh, did a, did a little bit of research on that, and I actually found out uh, that this is from right around the turn of the 19th century, uh, 1900s. And it's from a writer, it's, it's entitled An Old Sweetheart of Mine by James Whitcomb Riley. And what Neil's relative had done was written down a favorite stanza from it. So you're going to get me reading the entire two-page poem. Uh, and I hope you enjoy it, and I hope I read it as well as it reads itself. So here it is, An Old Sweetheart of Mine. As one who cons at evening o'er an album all alone and muses on the faces of the friends that he has known, so I turn the leaves of fancy till in shadowy design I find the smiling features of an old sweetheart of mine. The lamplight seems to glimmer with a flicker of surprise as I turn it low to rest me of the dazzle in my eyes. And light my pipe in silence, save a sigh that seems to yoke its fate with my tobacco and to vanish with the smoke. Tis a, fa a fragrant retrospection, for the loving thoughts that start into being are like perfumes from the blossoms of the heart. And to dream the old dreams over a luxury divine when my truant fancies wander with that old sweetheart of mine. Though I hear beneath my study, like a fluttering of wings, the voices of my children and the mother as she sings, I feel no twinge of conscience to deny me any theme when care has cast her anchor in the harbor of a dream. In fact, to speak in earnest, I believe it adds charm. To spice the good a trifle with a little dust of harm. 
For I find an extra flavor in memory's mellow wine that makes me drink the deeper to that old sweetheart of mine. A face of lily beauty with a form of airy grace floats out of my tobacco as the genie from the vase. And I thrill beneath the glances of a pair of azure eyes as glowing in the summer and as tender as the skies. I can see the pink sunbonnet and the little checkered dress she wore when I first kissed her, and she answered the caress with the written declaration that as surely as the vine grew round the stump she loved me, that old sweetheart of mine. And again I feel the pressure of her slender little hand as we used to talk together of the future we had planned. When I should be a poet with nothing else to do but write the tender verses that she set the music to. When we should live together in a cozy little cot, hid in a nest of roses with a fairy garden spot, where the vines were ever fruited and the weather ever fine, and the birds were ever singing for that old sweetheart of mine. And I should be her lover forever and a day, and she my faithful sweetheart till the golden hair was gray. And we should be so happy that when either's lips were dumb, they would not smile in heaven till the other's kiss had come. But ah, my dream is broken by a step upon the stair, and the door is softly open, and my wife is standing there. Yet with eagerness and rapture, all my visions I resign to greet the living presence of that old sweetheart of mine. So there you go. There is the poem by James Whitcomb Riley. You've got mail. You've got mail. You've got mail. And remember, if you have a comment, question, or a piece of poetry, you can email me directly, brian at pipesmagazine.com, or post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page, or reach out to me on Facebook or uh, Instagram, and I'm not on the twatter anymore because, well, I don't care. Uh, but going back to Neil, so Neil, thank you very much for that. That poem was really cool. Um, he has a, a comment down here, and he says, I also have a tip for new smokers. Even if Virginia's may not excite you now, you should start buying and selling some. It seems that a lot of smokers tend to evolve, if you will, to Virginia's and vapors the longer they smoke. I have more tobacco than I'll smoke in my lifetime because early on I stocked up on what I liked then, but do not smoke now. I've smoked up the little aged vapors I had and now scrambling to buy more and stove it. So there's some advice from Neil. Maybe you uh, uh, start hedging your bets on, uh, you know, maybe you're, uh, maybe you're not a fan of Virginia's or a fan of uh, English or Oriental blends yet. Well, maybe you stockpile or buy some that are, you know, buy some of the more popular ones now and age them. Um, you know, listen, if, if anything, you know, you can, uh, send them to, you know, send them in five years or so, or 10 years to my friend, Steve Fallon. And, you know, sometimes you buy a tin now for 10, 12, $15. He sells it for 35 or 40. You get 30 out of that. And then you go back and buy two tins. So now you've doubled your seller size. So, um, just a thought, but yeah, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Um, yeah, I hope, I hope. 
I hope deeply that I do not become adverse to Perique. So there you go. Uh, and then uh, David writes, uh, question for future show. Which works better at uh, to taste uh, new blends for everyday smoker, clay or meerschaum? Came up because Shane uses a mirror, Jeremy Reeves uses clay. Well, I can tell you this. All right, are you ready for this? If you're going to taste test tobaccos, I think the only thing that you should try them in is clay. Um, I think Meerschaum will, Meerschaum takes a ghost after a while, and good Meershams are relatively expensive. So if you keep hitting those, uh, yeah, if you're if you're taste testing stuff that's not in your wheelhouse, or maybe you're doing what Neil suggested and you're taste testing some stuff, you know, maybe you want to, uh, maybe you want to make sure and you know have some less expensive pipes. Um, the other thing that I will say is, so clay pipes you can get them for eight, ten, twelve, fourteen dollars. Uh, a good meerschaum is going to be at least seventy, eighty dollars. So if I'm going to taste test stuff, I'd rather goof up a seven, eight, ten, twelve dollar clay. Uh, the other thing that I do, and this is where I smoke a lot of the uh, otter stuff in, besides my clays, is Missouri Meerschaum's corn cob pipes. Uh, I'm not sure. Check out their website, corncobpipe.com, and see if they have the grab bags of the seconds, and if they have them available get those i will get them at uh uh at pipe shows they'll always have like a bag of i don't know 8 10 12 pipes for yeah 30 something bucks so they're just cosmetically something's wrong with them and i will uh, and i'll use those for taste testing out of and i get a i get a much more real uh i get a much closer to a briar experience out of a corn cob than i do out of a clay or out of a meerschaum i think meerschaum changes the way stuff smokes clay's a little more neutral and i think corn cobs are even more similar to what a briar does so there's my very long-winded answer i guess i fall on the side of jeremy reeves and i think that's because all the most of the tobacco guys, when when we're taste testing raw leaf, it's cut it up and roll it into roll it in smoking paper and rolling papers and smoke it, smoke it like a cigarette. Um, <laughs> so clay pipes are closer to that. All right, uh, let's see. Double checking over here. The Victorian Piper writes. Hello, Brian. Just wanted to write in and say how much I enjoy the show. As a relatively new pipe smoker, it's a great resource, and I appreciate the work you put in every week. I particularly enjoyed listening to your interview with Eric Weaver. I'm lucky enough to own one of his pipes and have become virtual friends with Eric through his weekly live streams on YouTube. It's great to hear him get some exposure and to learn a little bit more about him. Anyway, it's a pleasant ritual to shut myself away, light up a bowl, and spend an hour with you and your guests every week. Best regards, Sean. Sean, the Victorian Piper on uh, YouTube. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll keep doing them. And remember, if you're new to the show, you know, stay current with the new ones while you're working through the back catalog. All right? Promise? Everybody, please? All right, going back to last week's show with uh, Kyle, 
uh, Renfield writes, great show. It's interesting that expecting a pipe to pass a cleaner is a relatively modern thing. A mid-smoke pipe cleaner is a habit with me, and so being able to pass a cleaner is a requirement. The interview with Kyle let me put a voice and a face to the reviews. Somehow I expected him to look more curmudgeonly. An interesting guy. Yeah, Kyle is fun. I, I want to have him back on. Uh, and then Hockey454 writes, This was a great show. Has Brian ever been asked the five famous questions? If not, I think it's time he answers them. I, for one, really want to know what his favorite blend is, and since we all know it's a McClellan tobacco, he doesn't have to worry anymore about others hoarding his favorite blend. My guess is it's Beacon or Beacon Extra, but I have yet to hear him say anything regarding his go-to smoke. Granted, I haven't listened to every single show, but I'm close. Well, I slipped it in there, I don't know, three years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, it is a McClellan. It's from the Blake Needs Best line. It's called Acadian Ribbon, and if you guys start running up the prices on it, and you know, then I'll get mad. Um, but in conversations with, uh, with Mike and Mary, um, out of all the Virginia, Virginia Perique tinned tobaccos that McClellan did, and keep in mind they had like 200 in the can, you know, 200 different things in the tin. I think my favorite was like in the bottom three, four, or five in popularity. I mean, literally in the basement. Nobody else liked it but me. So if it wasn't for me, they would have been stuck with a whole bunch of it. So there, there you're welcome, McClellan. Um, yeah, and if you want me to do the five, uh, the the fast five final questions i'll do those for pipe parts one time coming up because that that'd be kind of fun but i talk to myself frequently anyway so um and then uh, another bob says glad to hear that passing a pipe cleaner thing is as pointless as i've always thought or not depending on how you smoke there you go yeah <laughs> um just depends on how you smoke also we have uh Dino writes, the conversation with Kyle was absolutely fascinating. It was fun to wade around inside the head of a critic. He had some interesting insights to tobacco tasting. I always enjoy Jody's music, and I so agree with your rant. Thanks for an always entertaining show, Dino. You are welcome. And Casey Ghost writes, like the show. On the problem with pipes you can't get a pipe cleaner through, I just usually rotate the pipe around the pipe cleaner until it goes through. Uh, it works on most pipes except umpals, of course. If it won't go through after that, send it to a guy who really knows how to repair them. My preference would be an OCD guy who is very anal retentive. <laughs> um, like the interview, I was hard-pressed to figure out this guy's journey to becoming a pipe tobacco reviewer. But I must admit, if Greg Pease recommends you, it's about the highest recommendations. As usual, I didn't like the music. <laughs> there you go. There's Dan on the counterpoint of the music. Uh, so what Dan's talking about with the pipe cleaner is if you've got a bent pipe and the pipe cleaner's not getting all the way through, if you just kind of twist the pipe cleaner maybe three, you know, halfway or three quarters of a turn while pushing forward, you might be able to get that to break through right there. All right, that was a big bunch of stuff in the mailbag. Um, if you have a Ask the Pipe Maker that we haven't covered yet, 
email that in to me and we'll get Jeff on. Jeff's been uh, Jeff's been really busy lately and I have had a hard time getting him on the phone. So uh, that could be a good thing. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe he's either surfing or making a lot of pipes. Either way. But if you haven't asked the pipe maker, reach out to me and let me know. If comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in just a moment, a rave. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. I'm not sure I'm going to say this right. I'm not sure exactly how to say this, but I have admiration and respect for those people that give 110%. You know, a lot of us uh, a lot of us don't succeed because we don't try hard enough or because we don't put in enough effort to it. But when you hear somebody like Ryan talk about, you know, if he wants to get something done, he puts 110% into it and he just sets his mind that it's going to get done. Well, those people that can do 110%, boy, that is, uh, you, you, you got my vote, all right? You got my admiration and my respect because you're not letting no as an answer. You're not setting back and saying, well, they said I can't. No, what you're doing is you're putting 110% of effort into it. You're focused and you've got your nose down to the grindstone and you're going to get it done. And that is just a, a huge amount of respect. Young people... If you want to go to, you want to go out there and make a difference in the work world right now. Give 110% while you're at work. Don't check your tw- don't check your text. Don't check your Twitter or whatever. Put the phone down and just give 110% while you're at work, and you will set yourself apart from everybody else around you who is giving as minimal a percentage as possible just to get through the day. You will succeed. And then, you know, listen, you may, you, you may be born with a problem or you may be like my daughter gets, uh, you know, gets something that pops up at age nine and doesn't let that stop her. Well, you know what? You got my respect and you put 110% to it and you can do anything. So there you go. Put 110% towards listening to this show and you might go a little bit crazy. But uh, no, you put 110% into trying to figure out how to work on it and work with a tobacco and you finally figure out how to do it. So there you go. Again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. iTunes ratings and reviews, that would be much appreciated. Anywhere else, rate, review the show, that would be wonderful. Uh, if you'd uh, like to advertise on the Pipes Magazine radio show, reach out to Kevin Godby, Kevin at PipesMagazine.com. He handles all that. So thank you very much to Ryan for joining me. Thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Who cares who
just sing a song and think about sunny weather. You must be Doc Holliday. That's the rumor. You retired too? Not me. I'm in my prime. Yeah, you look it. 